0: today. What an amazing, amazing chapter, John 3. What an amazing chapter. You know, I could spend, I could spend three months on John chapter 1. It is so profound. So profound. But anyway, let's stand tonight and let's finish 2 Peter. How many of you have your Bibles with you? If you don't have your Bible with you, don't raise your hand. (laughs) I'm kidding. Uh, But we, I I put it up here because I want you folks to kind of see it like I see it. I want you to kind of learn to look at what I look at and let things jump out that jump out at me. And I'm, I'm really wanting my passion for the Word to be caught and not just taught. You know, I found a long time ago, Jesus is caught and He's, and he's taught. And I think you get somebody that's really full of the Lord and, and they're, they're contagious. He's caught. Amen? So, let's read tonight The 2 Peter 3.13, read it out loud with me, and we'll get into it. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Lord, thank You for Your Word tonight. We pray that You will speak to us. Lord, we so need to be fed. We're so hungry. We're thirsty, Lord. We want to be built up in our faith. We want to be established in the Scriptures. We want deep roots. And then we want wide branches filled with fruit. So Lord, feed us tonight and open our understanding to hear your word. In Jesus name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Well, how many of you are enjoying this weather? Praise God. All right now, let's just uh, look at a couple of the words here in 2 Peter 3:13. We're headed towards the close. And uh, remember, Peter's been talking about false teachers, and I want you to keep in mind something here, that uh, so did Jude, so did 1 John, so did Paul. I mean, you just take the, the major New Testament writers, and it seems to me they were all concerned about false teaching. So it must be that false teaching is an issue. You know, we got a little saying, you'll see a lot of bumper stickers, don't mess with Texas. But here's what God says, don't mess with my word. If you don't think he means that, just look at the end of Revelations. If you mess with his word, all those plagues are yours, free. So God says, don't mess with my word. My word matters to me. So that's why we need to be rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to really care about his word because he does. And I've noticed that in the Old Testament, we're introduced to God the Father. You ever notice this in the Old Testament, God the Father, and he's spooky. He's spooky. David loved him. The prophets spoke for him. But I'm going to tell you, you read Hebrews, and those people are talking about God's voice making the ground shake when it came from the mountain, and how they trembled, and how they were afraid. And they said, don't let him speak to us. God was scary, in a sense, in the Old Testament. You come to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're introduced to Jesus. After the Gospels, starting with Acts, we're introduced to the Holy Ghost. So you've got God the Father in the Old Testament, God the Son in the Gospels, and God the Spirit in the letters and in the book of Acts. We're introduced to the Spirit of God. And as the Spirit of God was moving through the church, he really, and and let's remember, he's the one who moved on Peter. All all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, not the ideas of men. The Scriptures are not good ideas. They are God's ideas as holy men of old were moved, carried along, borne along by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said when he comes, he will not speak of himself, but he will speak of me, and he will guide you into all truth and he will bring to your remembrance what I have said to you. So when these, these men, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, sat down to write out the Gospels, they weren't going based on their memory. The fulfillment of Jesus' words, he will bring to your remembrance everything I've said to you was operating in them. So the Holy Ghost was quickening their memory, and they wrote it down. But I noticed as the Holy Spirit moved on these men, let's just keep in mind now, it was the spirit who was concerned about the twisting and the skewing and the misrepresentation of the Word of God. And, and so Peter, Jude, John, Paul, James, they were feeling the burden of the Holy Ghost about this. And so we've got now Second Peter chapter 3. He, uh, he's going to talk to us now about a new heavens and, and a new earth. But, but this whole thing now that we're, we're wrapping up tonight, We're coming off just a continual riding this wave of these apostles warning us about false teaching and about the word being twisted. And I'll tell you, folks, we live in a deceiving generation. It's a deceptive day. And there's more lies and deception out there than you can shake a stick at everywhere. So we're going over these things so that you and I can be wise and be discerning. Now the word new here when he says nevertheless, you know in light of all these things about false teachers and everything, nevertheless we according to his what? His promise. We're standing on a promise here. We are looking, our eyes are peeled for a new heaven and new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Now the word new there As seen from the aspect of quality, the new as set over against that which has seen service, the outworn or the marred through age. In other words, this is something new in comparison to the old. We shared last week that this earth is gonna melt with a fervent heat. It doesn't mean the earth is gonna be totally destroyed, it's not. All the elements are going to be melted. It's going to be renovated, renovated, not destroyed and a brand new thing made, but it's going to be renovated by being burned up by fire and then renovated. And so he says, we're looking for a new earth. Compared to the old, it's going to be brand new. The present heavens and the earth, beautiful as they are, are under the curse placed upon them because of Adam's sin and I want you to catch now that the apostles by the Holy Ghost felt that not only was the earth stained and tainted and marred by sin but the whole universe our solar system was stained and tainted by sin so he's going to make new heavens and new earth and the new heavens and the new earth new in quality free from any curse hallelujah will likely be beautiful beyond our wildest expectations. As a matter of fact, it will be because here's what Paul said. He said, your eye has not seen and your ear has never heard. And if you live to be centuries old, it would never enter into your imagination the things that God has prepared for those who love him. You couldn't imagine it if we told you to, if we told Spielberg, write the most incredible script you can think of of what God's gonna to bring to believers when it, he couldn't even touch it Paul said it hasn't entered your mind and it won't it's a surprise amen now he says that notice this that uh, these new heavens and new earth wherein dwells righteousness the word dwells from a word meaning to be permanently at home so righteousness will be permanently at home in the new heavens and the new earth there'll be no sin never will a shadow come between us and God there'll be nothing that stains nothing that dirties nothing that muddies it will be pure pristine clear of any sin and it'll be righteousness permanent dwelling place so let's read the translation together can we but new heavens and a new earth according to his promise we are looking for in which righteousness is permanently at home Amen. Can you say with me, no more cancer, no more heart disease, no more headaches, no more backaches? I say that for Kathy. No more stress. No more working by the sweat of your brow. No more worry about a 401k. No more, none of that. It's it's righteousness will find its permanent dwelling place in this new home, and we will rejoice and be like children, and uh, our bodies will be glorified as was Christ when He rose from the dead. We will think and we will be there. We will not labor. We will not toil. It will be rest, glorious bliss and rest. You can't imagine it, and neither can I. Now let's read verse 14, can we? Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless. How many of you are looking for these things? Are you looking for these things? You know, I read something recently. They, they polled a lot of the church. Uh, I don't know who all they went to, but a, a lot of believers or a lot of Christians, professing Christians. And a lot of them said, I don't believe that Jesus is coming back. I think that's kind of a myth. And I don't know about a lot of these things that are in the Bible and perhaps it's fable and metaphor and all of that. Folks, let me tell you something. John said, he that has this hope that we just read about in him or her purifies him or herself. As long as you keep that hope of Jesus coming back, beating in your chest— then it purifies you. Amen. So this is one of the great promises. This is one of the great hopes of the believer. We're going to heaven someday. Jesus is coming back. All right, now, when he says be diligent, he says it means do your best. Do your best to be found of him blameless, without spot. Be diligent. Do your best. Make haste. Take care. Hurry on. The Greek word speaks of intense effort. Paul uses the same word, for instance, in 2 Timothy 2.15. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, study to show yourself approved of God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Did you know that that is not just for preachers? That is you as a believer you ought to be studying to show yourself approved unto God the Greek word for study is the same Greek word used to translate into be diligent it means you work at it notice how the notice how how Paul says we ought to be treating our Bibles he says you ought to be making every effort you ought to be making haste you ought to be hurrying on you ought to be pressing in you ought to be burning some midnight oil when it comes to studying your bible that's not just for preachers that's the people and I don't even want to go into the polls they've taken of professing Christians throughout the west and how often they open up that book and what they don't know I mean a bunch of them a high percentage of them said they thought that God helps those who help themselves with a bible verse We need to be, say it with me, study. A lot of us don't even like that word. But let's, let's try it. One, two, three. Study making haste. You know, I, I saw one time there was this show where they had some women who were in this drawing and, and whichever woman won the drawing was given this grocery cart. And she was given like 10 minutes to run through the store and throw everything in this thing that she could. And if she could keep it piled up without any of it falling on the floor, she got to keep everything she got. And they saw her now the, the gun fired and she took off and to this piano music. And she just made a fool of herself. Running up and down these aisles, grabbing all these different things, throwing them in this grocery cart. And I mean by the time she got to the, the checkout counter, it was way up here. She'd gotten all this stuff in ten minutes. And you know what it was? It was, you know. Fig Newtons and Oreos and cereal and, you know, bread and stuff that is going to be gone next week, but she acted like her life depended on it. And I thought, if we would only go down these aisles, that way, that way, you know, I just can't get it. Sometimes I wish I had something that I could hook up to my brain and just shoot all the information from this Bible in like a computer— like I could load it, like loading the hard drive, like I could just put a floppy in somewhere and just load my brain up with everything in here without having to read it because I can't read it fast enough because I want it in my soul. I love it. And I feel like that woman going up and down these aisles. (laughs) I still want somebody to make me a Bible that when I open it, a light comes on and shines in my face (laughs) because that's what it— your word is a lamp to my feet. You know, just wah, light. But he this is how Paul saw believers and they didn't have the New Testament. We've got all of it. You know, I wonder what Paul would have done with the book of Revelation. I wonder how Peter would have just devoured the book of Revelation all that we've got in our New Testament. They they just would have consumed it. So here we have it. So we should study. And so, do your best, says Peter, to be found in relation to him in these conditions. Do your best, be diligent to be found, first of all, in peace, in peace. And that refers to the saints living at peace with one another, not with him, but with one another. Be diligent, make every effort, make haste, to be found in peace with the believers well that nails the church right there doesn't it? Uh, you know I know the Lord did not offer and I say this in in all love. I don't mean anything by this I love all believe. I'll sit down with anybody who will tell me I'm washed in the blood and Jesus was the Messiah I don't care what denomination they are but I don't believe that that the Lord was behind denominations in this sense I don't think he ever intended for us to have a name that divided us from other believers. Well, if you're not Baptist, you don't need to go in there. If you're not Methodist, you don't — if you're not whatever, you shouldn't — you're not welcome here. You've got to be one of us. There's no such thing in the Word. There's just no such thing. If anything, he wants all of us fellowshipping together. Not divided, but we are divided. We are divided. And that's wrong. Then he says, Do your best to be found not only in peace with one another, but without spot and blameless. That means spotless, irreproachable, that which cannot be found fault with. Do your best to keep your life clear. Keep short accounts with God. If you sin, repent quickly, get it under the blood. The further you go in unconfessed sin, the harder your heart's going to get. So if you sin, when you sin, Get it under the blood quickly. Get your relationship with the Lord restored. Keep short accounts with God. Keep short accounts with God. Don't walk a day, two days, a week, months in, in unconfessed sin. Don't do it. Because sin will, sin will singe and char and burn your soul. Don't do it. So let's, uh, let's read this. Translation, are you ready? On which account divinely loved ones, tell your neighbor that's you. You're a divinely loved one. What are you? I'm divinely loved. I just hear that. But that's what it means when he says beloved. That's exactly what it means in the Greek. Divinely loved ones. Since, okay, let's go on. Since you are looking for these things, do your best to be found with reference to him, irreproachable and unblameable in peace. Do your best. Make every effort. Amen? Amen? Now, verses 15 and 16, I put them together here, and let's just go ahead and read the whole thing. I, I think it's great to read it together. Let's do this. Ready? An account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation— even as our beloved brother Paul, also, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures. Now, stop right there. I want to show you one thing. Notice that Peter considers Paul's writings what? What is the last word in the second of the last line? Scriptures. Notice this. Here's Peter. Now, Paul was a Johnny-come-lately. We know that. He wasn't one of the 12. He was, he was knocked off of a horse. I don't know where we get that. He was walking. There's no horse in that story. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. He was walking, riding, and God knocked him off his horse. He wasn't on a horse, just for the record. There wasn't no horse in that story. He was just walking, and suddenly the heavenly light shined on him. He was slain in the spirit, knocked to the ground, and he heard a voice. And the voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, that shows us that if you do it to God's kids, you've done it to him. He was persecuting God's kids, and Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Me. Me. And we know that he was blinded, and for three days he was without sight. And Ananias was sent down the street called Straight. Boy, that'll preach. He went down Straight Street and went and found Saul and prayed for him. His eyes were open. He received his sight. And I mean, he was, he, he stood up preaching and preached the rest of his life. He was three years uh, seeking God and getting all of his theology rearranged. Then he met with, went and, uh, met with Peter. And Peter at first didn't believe that he was valid, but when he became convinced that Paul was valid, he introduced him to the other disciples, and he was received. But he was not one of the twelve. He came later. But notice how Peter says, and we need to know this, because a lot of people in our day attack Paul. And they say, "Ah, Paul, you know, come on, he was just a religious Jew, and he lost his mind, and filled with guilt, he turned himself over to Christianity. No, listen— Jesus apprehended him by his own words. And when he, st- and, and he was brought to Christ, he gave his life to him. He was called to go to the Gentiles. And now look, Peter says his writings we consider, I consider, Scripture. Scripture. And I think that's important. And so he's talking about now these, these false teachers, who were not only skewing what Peter taught but they skewed what Paul taught and he said they do it to their own destruction now I want you to notice I have it underlined up here our Lord account that the longsuffering of our Lord what you're gonna notice in these verses is the Lord Jesus is invested with the full attributes of deity Peter is letting us know that Jesus was God I'm gonna say that this Saturday night one way or another that Jesus was God we have just got to get our Christology straight that in the beginning was the word the word was with God the Logos was with God and the word the Logos Jesus was very God there isn't anything that was created that was not created apart from him so, as you read these apostles, man, you cannot come away with anything but that Jesus wasn't just a good teacher. It was really funny. I was getting my, my glasses fixed the other day, and I was in this uh, optical place, and, and uh, I was sitting there waiting for my glasses, and this little woman about yay high came up to me, and she was probably 70-ish, I'd say, and she says, well, I guess we're both waiting. And I said, yeah. And she said, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a minister. Well, you know, when you say that to people, and I always say that to people, there's a look. And it's just sort of a quick dilation of the eyes. And it's sort of like you can feel them thinking of what to say. But I noticed, and I mean this, I I could tell that the woman was probably Jewish. I said, oh, so you're a Christian preacher? And I said, yes. And she said, well, then we have a big divide between us. And I said, really? I said, why? She said, well, my name is, not she gave me a very Jewish name and I said well maybe the divide is not so bad and since we're both waiting let's talk so she says okay and she says and where do you uh, pastor and I said well right down the road and she's oh really she says well I go to the synagogue right down the road healing we're talking about here so that's a beautiful building incredible I said let me me ask you something she said I said "Um," I said what what do you think the divide is between you and me and she said, "Well, you know, I believe that Jesus was a good man." Now, I'm quoting. "I believe Jesus was a good man. I believe he did good things. I think he was a wonderful person in history." She said, "I just don't believe that he got up from the dead." And I said, "You know, I understand that. I really do." And I said, "Do you know that in a few days I'm going to be speaking to 17,000 people about Christ?" She said, "Really? Where?" And I said, "Reunion Arena." And she said, You know, I've heard you people, and I know what you say. I've just never been able to embrace or accept or believe that he got up from the dead. I said, well, let me just approach it from another direction here. Have you ever read what he said? Well, what do you mean? I said, well, Jesus leaves us no option. He was either a raving lunatic, insane, suffering from delusions of grandeur, or he was who he said he was. He leaves us no middle road to say what you just said, that he was a good man. Well, I do think that he was a good man. I said, you know, I know you think that, but have you read what he said? She said, well, what did he say? (laughs) And I said, well, let's try this one. He said, nobody could get to God the Father apart from him. Here's what she said. She said, he said that? I said, since you're Jewish, let's try another one. He said, before Abraham existed, I am. See, if you are eternity forward and you are eternity backward, you never were and you never will be. You am. You're always am. Because if you you were living a million years ago, but you still are, you weren't were, you is am. Does that make sense? (laughs) And so we've got to understand this about Jesus. He always am. So he didn't say before Abraham was, I was. He said, when Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. After Abraham was, I am. Three million years from now, I'll still be, I am. And if you go a billion years back, I'm still, I am. And so, she said, He said that? Really? And she was a little sweetheart, really and truly. And. <laughs> you know look at me through these glasses and you know and now there's a crowd around well crowd there everybody in there was around and so before i knew it i was so aware that Folks, there is such an incredible misconception about even who Jesus said that he was out there. He has been so attacked and so diluted and so polluted and so watered down that people don't even really know what he said. This precious little lady has lived her whole life in Jewish synagogues and didn't even know that Jesus said that about Abraham. And I said, well, I got to go. I have really enjoyed talking to you. And she said... I'm gonna think about what you said. I said, please do, and go home and read Isaiah 53. It's okay. Well, I walked out of there and I said, Lord, the fields are white for harvest. The fields are white for harvest. So, this is what I'm saying. He wasn't just somebody, he won't let you say that about him. You have to say he was either totally paranoid, schizophrenic, crazy Deluded out there, or he was who he said he was. What are you going to do with what he said? Now, all right, it is he who waits and is long suffering. He uh, is he in his union and co equality with the Father. who rules all things after the counsel of his own will. The long-suffering of God, as we have already seen earlier, gives opportunity for repentance and thus salvation for the lost who put their trust in the Lord Jesus. So you know who he is? He's our Lord, and he, and he is God. He's God. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Amen. Now, in verse 15, Peter claims wisdom for himself, but he recognizes that Paul has the gift also. Notice that Peter considers Paul's writings to be on the level of Scripture, and we already pointed that out, and um, I think we all need to know that. Now, he says, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest. Now, that word rest, W-R-E-S-T, for those of you listening by radio, rest means to twist or to turn away. Now, I found this really interesting. This is the word Peter used. The Greek word meant to twist or to turn, but you know what? The noun form refers to an instrument of torture. And so, this is exactly what false teachers do to the Word of God. They torture it. They torture the Word. They they, they put it to the rack. They, They twist or they dislocate it. You know, they take the Word, this beautiful Word, and they just, in their interpretations and the way they bring it over, they torture it. It's just it's horrible what they do. They you can hear the word coming out of them just screaming sometimes. Help me. Somebody tell the truth about me. <laughs> I'm being tortured. This is terrible. <laughs> okay? They torture it and uh, for Peter to use this word it was very graphic. He knew what he was doing. He was saying these 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 dudes, they torture the word. Now let's do the translation, can we? And the long suffering of our Lord, consider it as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them concerning these things, in which epistles, are certain things hard to be understood which those who are unlearned and lacking stability distort from their proper meaning as also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction All right, we're almost done can you read 17 and 18 with me you therefore beloved seeing you know these things before beware lest you also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Good stuff. Now, since the recipients of this letter had knowledge of the things which Peter was telling them, here's what he's saying to them. You are without excuse, you readers of mine. And that means you folks here tonight too and everybody listening by radio, all of us who are professing Christians, we're in this. We are without excuse for misunderstanding Peter and Paul on this subject of the new heavens new earth certain judgment coming all of these things we're without excuse if we were to walk away from it i learned a long time ago there's a responsibility in teaching the word and there's a responsibility in hearing it because the minute you hear it you're responsible for what you heard you're responsible so The word beware, he says, beware, lest you fall from your own steadfastness, means to guard. It's a military term that Peter used in the Greek language, beware. It means be on your guard. Don't kid yourself. The enemy is walking around like a roaring lion looking for who he can eat alive. And so you got to be on your guard. He's out for you. He's out for me. He's out for believers. So... Being led away, somebody who is led away from these truths means to be carried away with, to be carried away with. Error, the word error means a wandering, a straying about, whereby someone led astray from the right way roams here and there, hither and thither, aimless wandering. That's what happens when you get taken out of the truth. You are, you are an aimless wanderer. Ever seen any of them that used to be in the church? I have. I have. And now they've walked away from these truths. And they, just, they aimlessly wander. They're, they're, there's, a, there's a vacuousness about them. And the word fall, fall from your own steadfastness, it doesn't mean, mean just to stumble and fall, but it means to fall out of you're not just falling but you're falling out of something what are you falling out of? you're falling out of the truth you're falling out of something not just falling down you're falling out you're falling out of something wicked is lawless and it's speaking of someone who breaks away from the restraints of law and gratifies his lusts now when he says now but you folks don't you be led away Don't become wicked. Don't be wandering around. Don't stray from the truth. But you grow in grace. Not only don't fall from your own steadfastness, but be so firmly rooted as to grow branches and bear fruit. Amen. Now grace, grow in grace, he says grow in grace. Grace is speaking exclusively of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of which he is the bestower and the author, grace for daily living, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in the yielded saint. How many of you in here have have ever um, worked out with weights in, in any way, just once or twice even? How many of you have been in a gym and you've seen what's called a spotter? A spotter gets behind somebody with the big barbells who's bench pressing usually. You're laying down on that bench and you've got this weight and you don't know if you're going to be able to to do it. And so you push it up and that thing comes down. And if it's too hard for you to push up, say spotter, spotter, and some muscle-bound thug comes up and stands over you and and he puts a couple of fingers around that bar and he says, come on now, pull. and And you push while he pulls and the two of you together are able to push that weight. And so he spotted you. That's grace. That's what grace does. God says, love that person. I'm trying. And grace comes along and says, come on, come on, come on, come on. Grace gives you the power to do what you ought. God says, forgive that person. I don't want to forgive them. I want them to be a grease spot. God says, forgive them. And you say, Lord, help me. Here comes grace. Come on. Come on. And there's a supernatural ability to do what he's told you to do. Now it is God who gives you both the want to do and the grace to do the will of God. So you're able, to, you're able to do what he's told you to do by the power of grace. That's what grace is. Grace empowers you to do what you couldn't do on your own. God says quit that habit. Man, you just can't push that up and all of a sudden you can where'd that come from grace now we are to grow in his grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ now we're gonna close out here the knowledge spoken of is that knowledge of which Jesus Christ is the object The knowledge of him as Savior and Lord and as our friend and and our companion. He says, I want your knowledge of Jesus. I want your knowledge of Jesus to grow. I want you to come to really know Jesus. Really know Jesus. That's the kind of knowledge I want growing in your life. Amen? All right, let's stand together, and we're going to read the translation, and we'll be done with 2 Peter. Were you blessed tonight? All right, praise God. Let's read this, can we? As for you, therefore, divinely loved ones, knowing these things beforehand, be constantly on your guard, lest having been carried away by the roving of the lawless ones, you fall from your own steadfastness but be constantly growing in the sphere of the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand for Second Peter? Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Father, I just thank You right now that we have been called to walk with You, to walk in grace, to walk in knowledge. And, Lord, we confess to you that we've got to have your grace empowering us to do what we cannot do in the natural. Thank you for that spotter called grace. And, Lord, we thank you that as we've looked at all these messages about false teaching, you've increased our discernment and you've increased our awareness and you're helping us to be strong in you. Thank you, Lord, for... Helping us to fall in love with you, grow in love with you, come to know you better than we've ever known you before. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for coming tonight, and we've got food.